those of you who don't know, by the way, I'm Jason Coker. I'm the co-minister here at Oceanside Sanctuary. Uh, for those of you who have been around for a little while, you know that usually we stand up here and give like a long list of announcements at this point. We are not doing that anymore um, because nobody likes that, including us. Um, but because I'm the co-minister, I get to import announcements in still because I have the microphone and nobody's going to come up here and take it from me So, because it's attached to my belt. Uh, but... I did want you to know that as you come in the door in the morning, typically you should get a little bulletin. And so hopefully you did. If you did not, I want to ask that you make it a point to grab one on your way out because we do have an opportunity for you to get involved in a back to school drive that's listed on here. It's coming up very quickly in August. And then there are a couple of other great things that I want you to know about too, uh, not the least of which is next Sunday is brunch church. So that means if you come next Sunday, we will feed you. We'll feed you a brunch. It'll be a little bit shorter service. We'll stick around for brunch together, which should be lots of fun. All right, so how's that for non-announcement announcements? All right, we're going to jump into a new series this week that we are calling uh, Reconstructing Faith, as Jen sort of alluded to a few moments ago, where a congregation that includes a lot of folks who have questioned their beliefs and begun to really wrestle with some of the things that they were perhaps taught in more traditional expressions of Christianity. And so Janelle and I put together just a six-week series called Reconstructing Faith. And instead of being a teaching series where I'll get up here and just unpack my thoughts for you every week, I'll still do that to some extent. But instead of just doing a teaching series, we've decided to uh, experiment with something that we're going to call a praxis series, right? So for those of you who know or don't, praxis is a kind of cycle of reflection and action, reflection and action. That's essentially how we learn. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to share some thoughts, some reflections on reconstructing faith that will come out of passages of scripture as usual. And then Janelle is going to lead you through some spiritual practices that will be connected to what we're talking about. And so that is what we mean by praxis. Hopefully we'll begin to develop a bit of a rhythm here where we're not just passively hearing, but we're also engaging, again, as Jen said today, with our bodies a bit and learning to embody new expressions of faith. So that's what we're going to do starting today. We're going to take a look at some passages from the book of Isaiah. Uh, but before we do that, I want to ask that you would just pray with me for this time of reflection. God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to gather here in this space uh, on this corner in downtown Oceanside. We're grateful for this community, uh, for a space that is safe for us to openly question and wrestle with what it means to cultivate a life of spirit and goodness and reckon with some of the teachings or beliefs that we were taught when we were younger, that might have been harmful for us. We know that's complicated. God, it's difficult sometimes to feel like we are in a place where we're no longer grounded or moored to something that feels solid. And so we ask that as we walk through this period of uh, deconstructing and reconstructing our ideas about you, that you would continue to draw close to us that our sense of security, our sense of belonging would no longer be attached to human constructs of belief or rules or doctrines or dogma, but that our sense of connection to what is good and right and true would be anchored to you. 
to a sense of connection with your goodness. And so we pray that you would do that work before us over the next several weeks. That you'd open our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to start with a passage from Isaiah chapter 57, verses 14 through 15. If you have a Bible with you, you're welcome, of course, to turn there as always. We're going to put uh, the passage up on the screen. It's Isaiah 57, verses 14 through 15. And if you do have a Bible with you, or you're like looking at your Bible on your phone, you might notice that the words are a little bit different. I've chosen a translation from a Hebrew scholar's version of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, his name's Robert Alter. He's generally considered the foremost Hebrew scholar in the world. He has his own translation that he's worked through. And I just love his, uh, his choices because it's true to the text, but he also really understands, I think, the deeply poetic nature of Hebrew scripture. So I want to read this to you first, and then I want to offer just a couple observations that I'm noticing and then invite you to enter into a spiritual practice together with, with all of us. Isaiah 57, verse 14 through 15 says this, And he said, Build up, build up, clear a road. Take away stumbling blocks from my people's road. For thus says the lofty and high one who dwells forever, and holy is his name. Lofty and holy do I dwell, and with him who is crushed and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of those crushed. Now, for those of you who have been hanging around for the past several weeks, you know that part of what I have been talking about up here is my own past. Janelle and I uh, together ministered for many years in more charismatic or Pentecostal settings. And I've shared a bit about some of the practices in those settings that were uh, difficult or abusive or harmful in some way. And I've made a bit of light out of that. And that's not to denigrate anybody's good experiences in charismatic or Pentecostal situations. But I have essentially tried to illustrate for you why I think those expressions are very vulnerable to abuses of power. Today, I want to share you a positive example, though, because somewhere in my bookshelf, there is an old NIV version of the Bible that's leather bound that has my name scrawled on it that was given to me sometime in the early 1990s when I became serious about my faith as an adult. And that NIV was my constant companion for the next dozen years or so. And I am the kind of person who writes in everything he reads, right? Like reading for me is an act of dialogue. I don't know how to read if I'm not scrawling in the margins my thoughts about what I'm reading, and that includes my Bibles. So over the years, I have to discard my Bibles because there's just like too much ridiculous stuff in the margins, right? Like I outgrow my thoughts or something, and I'm like, what was this idiot thinking, right? <laughs> so I'm like eight generations removed from that leather-bound NIV. Uh, but if I went and dug that leather-bound NIV up for you right now, and we turn to Isaiah chapter 57, there in verse 14, you would see written in the margins a date. And that date would say, this is my calling. Because at that time, in the early 90s, a prophet came and visited our church and said all kinds of ridiculous things. And one of the ridiculous things that he said to me is that Isaiah chapter 7, or 57 verse 14 was my calling. And so I wrote it in my Bible. And for years, every time I stumbled across Isaiah 15, I'd read that passage and I would be like, that dude did not know what he was talking about because 
This does not resemble my calling at all. And of course, like a lot of you, there was a time when I doubted not only my calling to ministry, but my faith. And for the better part of five years, Janelle and I walked away from church entirely, didn't attend church at all. And for a time, I tried on atheism, which was so lovely and comfortable. Can I just tell you? It comforted me to think that there might not be a God in the world. Uh, the problem with that, of course, is that I'm a terrible human being when I'm comfortable. So I discovered I needed the discomfort, the agitation, the, the trouble of Jesus in my life. And so I came back to faith, which is, you know, nice. And I sort of rebuilt my faith and then ended up somehow back in ministry again. You know, take that as good or bad. That's up to you, right? The point is, uh, as Janelle and I were talking about this series, we stumbled across Isaiah chapter 57, verse 14 and 15, and decided we were going to start with this passage. And this is the passage. And he said, build up, build up, clear a road, take away stumbling blocks from my people's road. And this is what that means. This is, of course, the post-exilic prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah is the prophet in the Hebrew Bible who is speaking prior to the exile of the Jewish people into Babylon and then during their exile and then after their exile. And if you're thinking, oh my gosh, Isaiah must have lived a really long time. Actually, Isaiah is probably at least three books written by three different prophets that were stitched together later because it suddenly made sense of the people of Israel's history. And part of that history is that they were carried off into exile after having been conquered by the Babylonians. And this is a prophecy that comes later as a prophecy of comfort, promising that there will be a time when they will come back from exile. And that prophecy that they will return from exile is pictured in this beautiful kind of poetic metaphor of a road, a highway in the middle of the desert. The exiles will return from Babylon to their original place, their original home, their comfort. But there's a problem. That highway is full of obstacles. It's full of stumbling blocks. It's full of rocks and boulders in the road. And if a, a bunch of people tried to travel that highway, they would stumble and they would fall and they would hurt themselves. And so the prophet calls them. Build up, build up, clear a road. Take away the stumbling blocks from my people's road. Now, why is it that the people of God were exiled in the first place? Why is it that they were in Babylon? Well, the answer to that is all the way back at the beginning of Isaiah. I've read to you a lot from Isaiah chapter 2 because it has to do with the vocation, that is the calling of God's people. But I want to back up a little bit to Isaiah chapter 1 and read this to you, starting in verse 10. You're welcome to just listen if you don't have a Bible and you don't have time to turn there. Here's what Isaiah says, very, very beginning of the book. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Now, you're probably familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Destruction, fire rains down, destroys the whole city. Right here, Isaiah is speaking from God to the people of Israel, and he is calling them Sodom. This is his way of saying, you have become wicked. You are about to suffer judgment. Listen to the teaching of your God, you people of Gomorrah. What is it to me in the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? In other words, why do I care about your worship? 
I've had enough of burnt offerings and ram and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. This is a sentiment that's repeated throughout the Hebrew Bible. God is angry with God's people and says, I don't care about your worship anymore. We have a tendency to think as people of faith that what God cares about most is that God is worshiped as though God is some giant megalomaniac in the sky whose anger can only be sated by our adoration. But that's not what's happening here. God is no longer concerned about their worship for some reason. He doesn't delight in their sacrifices anymore. Verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. In other words, don't come to worship anymore. Bringing your offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath callings and convocations, I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. There it is. God is upset because their worship masks or hides their sin. And I know these are exactly the kinds of sentiments that have been used to hurt and abuse many people, to indict them for their wayward thoughts or their addiction to cigarettes or alcohol or their lustful you know, conjurings. That's, that's not what's happening here. God is not angry with them because as individuals, they have stumbled or fallen. We have to continue to read a little bit more to understand. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil from your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. God is angry because they have the gall, the nerve to show up for worship. And then when they leave, they oppress the weak. They do not care for those who are lowly, for those who have been crushed in their lives. In other words, their worship has become hypocritical. Our worship should cultivate in us hearts of people who desire goodness and justice and mercy and when it doesn't, when we just use this act as a way to cover up our own abuses of power, then God is rightfully disgusted with us. Why is that? Well, because Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, God says the whole point of Israel, the whole reason they exist is to be a light to the nations to be a place where people will come and learn goodness and righteousness and peace. This is the passage where we get that amazing image. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war anymore. This is why they exist. Religion doesn't exist just to make you a better human being. Religion, worship, spirituality exists to make us people who know how to cultivate goodness and righteousness and peace in the world. It's our calling. It's our purpose. It's our vocation. Worship is supposed to be in service to that. And because worship was no longer in service to that, God allowed Israel to crumble. God allowed Israel to be conquered. God allowed Israel to be carried off into exile. What can we learn from this? I think we learn a couple of things. Number one, God is eternal goodness, righteousness, 
peace, and justice. This is what it means to say that God is high and lofty and dwells forever. These things that we aspire to, that we long for, goodness, justice, righteousness, peace in the world are the things that we have an adoring craving for. That is eternity. And when we neglect that, when we turn away from that, when we instead indulge in corruption and abuse of power, when we ignore the needs of the weakest in our community, it is inevitable that we will crumble, that we will fall. And then, those who are crushed, those who were abused, those who were cast aside, those who were snuffed out by those abuses of power are ironically, even poetically, often called to rebuild it. When Jesus comes, he, he calls those who are on the fringes of society. He, he is, many would argue, vilified and executed because he calls those on the margins who have been cast out to enter into the center and rebuild what was originally meant for good but has become a hypocritical corruption, corruption of power. This is, by the way, deconstruction and reconstruction. This is what's happening in Christianity in the United States today at a massive rate. Listen, in, in 1971, this is not in my notes, so I apologize if I go on a little too long here. In 1971, the share of the American population who were not affiliated with a religion of any kind was 1.5% of the United States. In the mid-1990s, just as the church was aligning itself with the politics of cruelty, that number surged to nearly 20%. And in the last 10 years, it has grown to over 30%. The number of people in the United States who no longer affiliate with any kind of religion is now as big as the two biggest expressions of religion, evangelicalism and Catholicism. It's about 30% of the population. And these are not people who haven't decided like, that they no longer believe in God. These are people who are often deeply spiritual, deeply engaged in practices of spirituality in their lives to try to make meaning and goodness and to become the kinds of people that they see in Jesus. They just can no longer affiliate with a corrupt institution that they see doing harm every single day. It's exile. It's a crumbling institution that was meant for good, for righteousness, for justice, for peace, that has instead become infatuated with its own comfort and its own power. And it's right to question it. It's right to pull those walls down. It's right to burn down that institution. But listen, fair warning. It's usually those who are crushed and snuffed out by that very institution who are called to rebuild it, to return it to something good, to help it to become something 
really does cultivate the goodness, the righteousness, the justice, and the peace of God. Not all of you are called to do that. Certainly not all of those 30% of Americans who have walked away from religion are called to do that. Nobody should be made to feel guilty if they're not doing that. But the problem is, this was my problem, and it might be your problem too. The problem is, some of us just can't get away from it. Some of us, no matter how hard we try to eject it, can't lose sight of who Jesus is. We can't let go of this idea that there is some transcendent goodness in the world that we are connected to. We just don't want all of the hypocritical garbage to go with it. If that's you, I'm so sorry, but you are called to rebuild. You are called to clear the obstacles from the road. That is deconstruction. But your job doesn't end there. You are also now called to pave a new road. And listen, you aren't just paving it for yourself. There is a bigger purpose here. There are exiles who want to come back. And they need a wide and clear highway to do so. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this opportunity for us to come together to worship. We pray that as we continue this time of worship and practice, that you would inhabit this space in a way that is discernible to us, that, that captures our imagination, that enlivens our bodies, to travel that road, to recapture the goodness of what you intended when you called a people who would represent goodness and righteousness and justice and peace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.